Doctor, look. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Doctor Homebrew. All right, welcome everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. This is Doctor Homebrew. We're back here with another episode, another couple beers to judge and talk about and uh, be friends with. And, and that's really, that's really what we need. You know what I mean? It's it's not the destination, Brian Cooper. It's the friends we make along the way that really I, uh, drag us down. I never disagreed with that. <laughs> Maybe the friends we make along the way are the destination, JP. Maybe mm-hmm. they're in our hearts the whole time. Maybe our friends are in our hearts. I miss my friends. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you know my friends are online anyway it's like what do i curmudgeon yeah, it's fine with me we were talking the other day about like uh you know taryn uh taryn's work is is healthcare adjacent i mean sort of like she works at uh, uh the head office of a senior living facility mm-hmm. um no she works at health head office for a company who owns more precise and uh so they might she might be able to get the vaccine for the covid bullshit and they're talking about potentially giving it to, to the family. And I'm like, I don't know. I'd be okay with just not, ta- I don't, I'm, I'm going to take it. I want to take it. I, you know what I mean? But I don't do anything. I don't go anywhere. Yeah. Let somebody's anywhere. grandma or grandpa take it before yeah. that. Yeah. Or- you're never, you're never going to get that man because there's only like 300,000 doses for California. And I guarantee you at a state with 40 million people, Yes. There's more than 300,000 seniors in assisted living, uh, nursing care, all any of those. And they'll be the first ones to get it because they're the ones that have the worst, the most likely to die if they get it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, no one else is going to get it. Aside, the front line, like Definitely. ER people and the old people, and that's going to be it. And that's fine. And that's, and so that's really was my point. It's like, I yeah. don't care. Like, that's I'm cool. Not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I mean, I'm itching to go out, but I'm also not, I'm not doing it. So. Anyway, yeah. um, but what I do care about is Five Star Chemicals. You go to fivestarchemicals.com, learn all about them. If that's if those are, uh, are three or four words that are different to you than you've never heard before, uh, change your mind, educate yourself, open your mind, brothers, and go to fivestarchemicals.com and learn the best way to clean and sanitize your home brewing equipment because it really is. It is the next best thing to all the professional chemicals that uh, the uh, commercial brewers have. So check it out, fivestarchemicals.com. It's the only thing you should be using, um, mainly because it works, and secondarily because they're nice people. Speaking of the friends we made along the way. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right, man. Uh, man, wouldn't that be great if we could do HomebrewCon over yep. again? Like in Nashville, we can go we can oh, man. Like a five-star booth and get five-star stuff. That'd be tight, man. Get hot chicken and some five-star stuff to, like, cleanse our hands after nope. we've gotten hot chicken all over ourselves. I was uh. so pissed off. Like, I've been obsessed with hot chicken. Never had it my entire life, but it sounds like exactly the thing that I want to mm-hmm. be in my life. Yeah. And the, when it was all that shit, yeah. was I was like, I, man, uh, well, I'm not mad. I'm mad. So I want to do it. We had hot wieners in Providence. I mean, like we went, I went to the, the BN party in that little arcade they had it in. Yep. And, and then like right around the corner was the classic hot wieners place in Providence. Yeah, but you put it, yeah we, we were but there there's too. An ointment, but there's an ointment that'll get rid of that. <laughs> so, you know, you're fine now. Yeah. You're fine now. Yeah. Everything's worked itself out. It, 
Pat they, they over applied here. the very finely chopped onions to that hot wiener, and it seemed to clear everything up okay. It turns out hot chicken is the cure, but I couldn't get that, yeah. so I had to do something no. different. It is really fun, man, to like go to these places, you know, across the country that have these hyper regional foods, right? Like going to Philly and and having a cheese, like a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. I still remember that. Although, you know, it's like Geno's or Nick's, right? And both of them are, mm-hmm. from what I understand, both of them are like garbage. Not garbage. They're fine. They're like the McDonald's and the Burger King of, of Philly cheesesteaks. But at one in the morning, there's lines down the block on either side and they're kitty corner across each other. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to sort of like be in that vibe. And like, yeah. I, so I do really miss that part about, about homebrew con and, and doing that stuff. But like, oh, uh, yeah. Rhode Island, man. Yeah. That place had the most I've never been in a state that had that much hyper local regional food. And that oh, wow. state's like as big as they got like what four people that live there. It's microscopic. <laughs> and they have so much crazy good regional food. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. Nice. I imagine if California had that many regions, like six thousand different regions with all that hyper <laughs> regional food. Yeah, we don't have that. No, we don't. Yeah. We just take it we just take a blend of everybody else's food. We and borrow Asian and, yeah, and that's it. Yeah, Spanish and yeah. mix it all remember together. That time, remember the time it was in Denver, but it wasn't really Denver. It was like 30 miles outside of Denver. You had to take the light rail train oh, into yeah. Denver. It was like two hours that, that one. Shit. Yeah, it was like, huh. Well, yeah, then there was the, <laughs> the Seattle one. Or the was Seattle one was, the, yeah, it was like Bellevue. Oh, yeah. Bellevue, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's getting bigger now. And I think that it, when it's in these big cities, it's, it, it is a lot better. And I understand I'm not slamming the AHA at all. You know, I'm just teasing them a little bit. because sometimes We love them. We want them to survive. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Anyway, let's get to our first beer. Nate, welcome back, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's like, it's like we just saw you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for hanging on. <laughs> um, what kind of beer uh, do you have for uh, for everybody? Not for me right now, but for everybody else. Well, th- there is one for you, but there's I, one for me. I haven't got there yet. Okay. Yeah, uh, amber, kind of- ale. amber ale. Okay, all right. It's are you amber. are you a classics boy? Like, do you like the classics? You because you, you last you did a cream ale last time, and an amber ale. I don't know too many homebrewers who who brew amber ale. So typically I do something hoppy, something kind of on the ambery, and then something sweet. So whether it's a fruit beer or a cider, and then I got something hoppy, and then I've got something kind of real, whether it's a, like an amber lager or an amber ale. So I've got probably something that's kind of red and something hoppy and something sweet. So that's okay. a lot of my beers. You know, I, I, I really appreciate that approach of like, here are the, the three general categories I need to fill. And they kind of like, I, I appreciate that. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's a cool way to look at it because some people really are like, this needs to be the style and this style and the style, but it seems sort of like a laissez-faire. Like, I, I only know. drink IPAs. I'll do this. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Had you made an amber ale before? I have. It's, it, I haven't made this specific recipe, but I used to make um, a specific amber ale quite often. But it's been probably six or seven years since I made that one. But does an extract, an extract type beer. So it's so I've gone all green. I haven't, I haven't made too many ambers. So okay, all right. Well, good. Welcome back to the Amber Club. I personally love a good amber ale. I'm, I'm ashamed that we don't make them more. Right now, I'm drinking a Heretic Lager, which is a Munich style Hellas. Nice. There you go. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, all right, Brian Cooper, why don't you go ahead and go? We haven't heard okay. you. Let's crack this bad boy. Actually, first, before I do that, 
Nate, I have some bad news for you. Oh. This is one of your no. Uh, one of your ciders. Oh, it was. It's in a plastic bag. You, but it broke. Yeah, you did it now. Yeah, I, for the people on Facebook watching, I wanted to show this because this is a good job of packaging. Mm-hmm. It had. So we got. You know, the other two bottles were fine. Uh, it had uh, paper in there. So I, I, I opened it up, unearthed everything, and I was like, "Oh, the paper's wet. Oh, damn!" And there's a the smell. And I like, oh, it smells like cider. But so uh, you did a very good job of isolating. And when you're packaging homebrew for a competition to send in, you know, it's wrapped with bubble wrap. You didn't really do anything wrong. The bottles were kind of all together in a big um, garbage bag, but they were separated by bubble wrap and bags uh, and then some paper. So uh, just I, the UPS or whatever did a big jolt to this box and just one beer died. So the one cider died, but sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still haven't. We have enough to judge. We'll still get that cider on, and everybody else uh, will have it too. So, um, nice. yeah. Anyway, that was the sad news. But the amber ale is being poured. The uh, bottle had a nice fill, had a good little hiss, and uh, in the aroma, I get a, a kind of a medium towards medium light maltiness with a definite caramel focus. Uh, the hops are generally citrusy and at a medium low level. Uh, it's okay. The style can allow for quite a bit of uh, variation. There are different interpretations of amber ale. Um, some of them, you know, you can go pretty hoppy w- with it or you can just have it have it pretty mellow. Uh, so this is, well, the hops aren't wimpy at all. There's enough hop there where it's just kind of a balance. It's not really a, a multi amber ale or a hoppy amber ale. So um, it's it's a, a nice hot, basic American citrusy character blended in with the malt. Um, this medium low fruity esters, no DMS or acetaldehyde or obvious diacetyl. Um, it smells like it's lightly sweet. Uh, although I always wonder, you know, can you detect sweetness with your nose? Like as humans, we are geared towards finding sources of carbohydrates, sugar, fuel for our bodies. And, and like you smell something that smells sweet. And sometimes it can be deceptive where you think, okay, um, it smells really sweet. And then you eat it and it tastes like garbage. But anyway, I digress again. Um <laughs> So I, I usually, it's like, this smells like it could be sweet. And then I wait till flavor to do the real judgment on that. Uh, Appearance-wise, it's a medium, towards medium dark amber colored beer, uh, which is mostly clear. Only a little bit of haze in there. Uh, this one's a little, there's a little haze. Um, it's not not super clear. You could clarify that and get it a little prettier. Um, there's ways to do that. The um, uh, the head is medium low and mostly finer bubbles. It sticks around uh, pretty well. Um, and uh, after a while, the one I judged last night, it faded to a collar and a cover of some kind of wispy foam. But that's um, appearance-wise pretty good. I would clear it up. Uh, flavor-wise, medium caramelly malt with a lightly fruity impression. The hot bitterness is low. Um, it's a, it's a, a medium low citrusy flavor with a slight bit of some resin. 
Um, and then I got what came across to me as a very faint plasticky phenolic, which is kind of distracting. Um, it's not extremely noticeable. It's a, it's a subtle thing in this beer, but it starts popping out and it keeps coming out to me as I, as I sip it. Um, this one's a little colder than the one I had last night, so it's not instantly grabbing me as much. But it, it, uh, it does seem to be there. Uh, lightly fruity ale fermentation characteristic. I mean, other than the light phenolic, it seems uh, clean. That caramel lingers into the aftertaste. Again, this one, I just I just took this one out of the fridge. I, I, I should have let it warm up a little more, but um, the one I judged last night was at a better judging temperature. Uh, didn't get any DMS or diacetyl. There aren't a lot of bad, um, big bad fermentation flaws in this beer. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's got, got most of the, uh, style elements you want for an amber. Um, mouthfeel wise, it's medium bodied with medium low carbonation, not getting any, any obvious warmth or astringency. It's pretty smooth. Um, Sometimes with a, a phenolic beer with a little plastic, plasticky note, you get a little bit of a phenolic attack, like a uh, you know polyphenols are, are kind of a little a little biting. Um, overall uh, impression, it's a pretty pleasant drinking amber ale. Um, I would say it's you know kind of either the, in the flavor, the, the, the light phenolic might be covering up some of the hoppiness that I got in the nose, but it's, it's, it's leaning a little more towards the malt balance tilt, uh, of things, but, uh, kind of a hop head. So sometimes things that I think are not very hoppy, other people are like, Oh, that's really hoppy. Um, so I'll, I'll wait to see what Brian says about that balance. Um, and that's <laughs> fine. It, again, it, you can have a range in this one is just where you want it kind of. And where you find a good balance for your for your recipe, uh, it's mostly clean. That little plasticky note detracts a little bit. I would watch for any unintended flora and fauna getting into your, getting happy in your beer after after cooling. Other than your intended yeast strain, um, I would like the hops you know a little bit more in this. Uh, it, would, it would a little bit higher would would make me happier, but maybe not others. Uh, but I just think it, it would kind of balance what else is here. It's just kind of a, it's, it's malty and a little sweetness in it, in the flavor. It, it, it does have a little sweetness. It, it doesn't um, dry out too much. And with an amber, you want a little, a little body there. So that's nice. Um, yeah, I'd bring up the, the hops just a little bit, but about, get, you know, kind of, work on that. If there was any issues with your fermentation, like talk about how the fermentation went and, and how your pitch was, I know you, you know what you're doing. So um, if there were any particular issues with this, with the yeast pack or when you, if you did a starter, uh, what you did there. So um, also I think maybe the, the perceived fruitiness that I'm getting in the beer could be coming from something in the malt selection. So I'd like to know what you did there too. Um, I landed at a 32 for this beer. I thought it was, it was towards the lower end of very good is generally within the style parameters uh, and just with a very minor uh, little um, issue there attracting to me. Um, and I'll wait to see what Brian says about it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a drinkable amber ale and uh, needs a little touch of cleaning up and fine tuning, but it's pretty, it's, it's 87% of the way there. Awesome. All right, Char. 
Let's go. Follow that up, dude. All right. Uh, well, now that since Brian was excited to hear what I had to say, uh, there was a lot of bottle variation between the bottle that I judged three hours ago and the bottle that I just opened a few, uh, you know, half an hour ago to pour out of this. They were like two different beers. And the first, the one that I judged initially, so I'll be amending my score sheet a little bit on the fly here as I go. The previous one was a plastic bomb. I mean, it was overwhelming plastic. I'm sensitive to phenol, so that's probably part of it. And, you know, uh, spoiler alert, there's a little bit of phenol in this bottle too. But the bottle that I had opened at six, you know, three hours back was almost undrinkably phenolic. So we'll come back to that in overall impression uh, a little bit. Uh, but this one is significantly better. And I think that the maybe the source of the phenol has to do with the bottles themselves and not the liquid, or maybe largely the bottles themselves and maybe not so much the liquid that got put in them. Uh, the one that I, that I sampled before had a lot more hop aroma too, which is bizarre. This one did not have quite the hop aroma. It's there. There's some citrus and floral aroma kind of at a medium to low medium level instead of the medium high in the previous example. Uh, I get caram much, I get more caramel malt in this before uh, Nate, you mentioned the uh, honey malt uh, with the last beer of yours that we had. I did make a note that there was kind of a honey-like character, and I'll be curious if honey malt makes an appearance in the, in the malt bill. Uh, I had no esters. I had fusels a little bit in the previous one, I thought, but ultimately I think it was just my I, – I, it, it was the phenols. It was you're not going to have – fusel is something you're going to have not from a bottle. It's going to come from your overall fermentation. I didn't get any fusel character out of this one. So I think that I was kind of just reading that uh, out of the first one as, as fusel, as I'm trying to figure out what that aroma is before yeah, I settled on it being plastic. But there's that really fusel in here. Yeah. 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 And I actually, my partner who hates beer, I had her take a, a, a smell the previous bottle and she's like, smells like bourbon. Like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and I didn't get that, but it's just kind of the, uh, uh, again, not to, slam you here but it's just an example of how you can have some you can have significant bottle variation uh especially when it comes to things like like phenol sometimes uh so i gave the aroma a six out of 12 really the um uh i, I might even go a little bit higher on this one because the previous bottle didn't really have any caramel character in the aroma or a very low caramel. This one definitely has a little more caramel, which you want in the, the amber, uh, a little more hop aroma would be nice. Uh, appearance three out of three copper color, crystal clear head is low and persistent. Uh, flavor gave it nine out of 20. Uh, initial impression is malt with low caramel. Uh, the bitterness balances in mid palate. The bitterness level on this is, is fine. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the previous one said so the the phenol became overwhelming almost immediately. In this this sample, there's some phenol I th think still at a low level, but it's not. I wouldn't consider it overpowering, and I do get some kind of citrus 
hop flavor, and there was really no hop flavor in the previous bottle at, at all, but there's definitely some hop flavor uh, from this bottle. Uh, well attenuated, the finish is moderately long and kind of balanced toward the citrus hop. So again, 9 out of 20 for flavor. Mouthfeel, 5 out of 5, body's medium, carbonation's medium. Uh, it's neither creamy nor astringent. There's uh, maybe some slight warming, which probably comes from having it be my the last of three beers that I judged right before eating. Uh, I don't think this is really a, a alcoholic level beer that's going to cause significant warming. Uh, overall impression gave it five out of 10 for a total of 28, which is good. Uh, I, I will ignore the comments that I had written to the bottle that was overwhelmingly phenolic. And, you know, I, I think there may be there may have been a phenol issue in the fermentation in general, but given the wild variation between bottles, I suspect that uh, uh, it was it just came down to bottling. Uh, you know, the, it looked like a new bottle. You know, but just basic bottle tips. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you know, you want to try to use new bottles when possible. Uh, if you're going to reuse older bottles. Make sure they're they're really clean. Uh, don't put them in the dishwasher like I used to do. Uh, all the dishwasher does is uh, it will it won't get everything out of the bottle and anything that's left. The heating cycle won't sterilize it as much as just bake it onto there and cause a locus for bad stuff to to grow. Uh, so avoid that. Don't don't be using the dishwasher. Yeah, the, the spores cleaning. will survive. The spores <laughs> live. Well, exactly, exactly. And the glass might get super hot, but it's not going to get, even in the sanitary wash cycle, it's not going to get good enough. Uh, my old friend John Watson used to literally bake bottles in his oven, uh, which if very old school. I remember working at Morbier yeah. in 98 and hearing stories about that, like from way back. So already by 98, yeah. it was like not done. Yeah, don't don't do that. Uh, you know, bottles aren't that expensive, uh, and don't risk the whole bottles exploding in your oven because you don't want to have to deal with. And for God's sake, if you're ever going to do that, don't open the oven in the middle. Don't you don't want a face full of hot broken glass? Uh, it's not good for anybody. Uh, but I, I star stain. Yeah, exactly. That's period. Period. That that's that does all it. you need. Yep. Uh, and even if they weren't our sponsors, I would say the exact same thing. Seriously, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I, that's, that's what I do. That's what I would tell people. Uh, so I tend to believe, the only reason I don't believe it's entirely bottle related is that that previous bottle was not a gusher. And usually when you have an overwhelmingly phenolic beer like that, it's, a, it's high carbonation and it's gushing. Yeah. It was strange to me that that didn't happen because usually in that situation, the phenols come from wild yeast mm-hmm. uh, or something. But I, I, I've got to believe because of the extreme bottle variation, that had to be what happened. So otherwise, it, whatever happened to the beer beforehand would be present in all the bottles. Uh, so uh, again, I, not to belabor the point, but uh, it, use, use new bottles when possible. And if not, make sure you PBW and star sand. The, the used ones uh, to be sure that they're not harboring anything nasty. Look, there but, is the point that, yeah, we got, we got phenolic in all f- four bottles that you and I have tasted so far. So to some level of phenolic, 
uh, presence. Uh, so it, to me, it, it indicates it, it had to have come from the fermentation at some, yeah. To, yeah, to some degree, especially. Maybe. So it might've, something might've gotten away a little bit in this, in the other bottle, but yeah. Maybe. And the other thing, cause this happened, used to happen to me. Do you uh, brew outside, Nate? I do. Do yeah. you use a garden hose for your water? I do not. Okay, good. Because that's what I used to do, and I would have phenol flavors because garden hoses taste nasty. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you avoided the obvious mistake. Uh, do you use so your water? Where do you get your water from? So I use I use tap water typically, and what I'll do is I'll split my um, mash water and my sparge water between two big okay. vessels, and I'll drop a half a Campton tablet in each. I'll crush yeah. it between okay. things and do that. But, okay, um, so you're not really getting that's plenty of camp. And how many gallons for that half a Camden tablet? I usually do. I usually split eight gallons between two vessels, so four and four. Yeah, that might even be too much Camden tablet for that Just, little you water. Get a carbon filter. Okay, or or do both. Well, I used to do both. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Yeah, the Camden. The filter. Yeah, the the carbon filter will get rid of. Some of the chloramines, if you filter it, you know, a lot of the chloramines, if you filter it really slowly, but Camden's a good way to do it too. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I remember reading that it's, it, it's, it's a fine way, but it's not the best way because you can, yeah. you can fuck up your dose. I mean, I'll yeah. just, or just get RO water and, and build up yeah. your water too. Yes. So, but yeah, yeah I was, that takes math and, uh, you know, uh, it depends how much a, work you want to do <laughs> a carbon cartridge filter from more beer. They're like 30, 40 bucks or whatever yeah. and run it, you know, not super slow, but slow enough. And, and, yeah. you know, and, and you're, you'll be fine. It's, it's easier well, than crushing Camden tablets, you know, <laughs> um, unless you want to relive yeah. your, your college days and your crushing pills this month. <laughs> <laughs> college but, days. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you, your college I mean, days were a little different from mine, yeah. but yeah. No, I All right, but that's but I, I gave that a uh, uh, overall tw- again twenty eight. But uh, okay. I I would love to hear your uh, recipe and your process and hear more about this beer. Yeah, let's go, Nate. Come on, tell yeah, us to send this one out to you guys because I was picking up a lot of flavors, two different flavors, and one of the odd things this beer poured differently. Every so I've got this on a keg, and every time I poured it, it poured like a cider or like a chocolate milk or like a malt oh. almost. It, it was like super heavy, and it it would take a half a pint to a pint before things really cleared up. And it didn't matter if like wow. I just poured a tap like an hour ago or if it was three days ago. And that's probably where you're seeing a lot of this bottle variation, you know, for you guys, you know, if I'm going to send a bottle to you guys or, or to competition, I'm, I'm pulling new bottles. I mean, we've got a, a homebrew store here that's attached to a local brewery. So I buy bottles for them. And if I'm sending them out, I'm not going to reuse old bottles. So just coming off that keg, it was crazy the amount of variation I was seeing even off that keg, which which was wild to me. I mean, I I've never seen that before. Um, one thing with my recipe here, something different I did is I did did add some acidulated um, malt at about four percent. That's kind of playing around there. That's again something I've never done before, and I don't know if that's giving me some of these weird flavors or some of the weird textures I'm seeing here. Uh, I would. Why did you use the acidulated malt? Again, I was just kind of reading some different different things and and playing around, and I, I don't know, maybe maybe I shouldn't have again. Just trying different things and and playing around with my my. Well, that's, um, that's that's not a criticism. I'm just trying to gather yeah. something. We've all played with stuff, and four percent water... malt shouldn't mess with anything too much. 
Yeah. If your water's super alkaline, that you know, that could help you get the balance right for certain styles. But um, yeah. Do you know what your mash pH was? I didn't record it. I think in my in my previous pH was a little high, and that's kind of why I was I was okay. I was playing around here a little bit, and I didn't record it here. At least I don't have it in my notes. So, and you, and you're saying that out of your keg, uh, just each pour you had like different viscosity. Exactly, wow. and, and that was weird. It, and not carbonation. It wasn't a carbonation difference. It was a thickness. Well, that's, you know, so a lot of my notes here through the process here, I've got like super hazy and, and it seemed like I was picking up a lot of CO2 a lot of the time. And just just through the process between primary and um, I don't know if I did a secondary here, but I just just picking up the, the it seemed like there's always a lot of CO2 with this beer and it was always super hazy. It, it was some of my notes through the whole thing here. So. Right, so you have you have either something in the keg or something in the faucet or something along the line. That you you need to, in my opinion, you need to tear everything apart. And that was going to be my my suggestion. Yeah, I agree with you totally. And how long has it been since you changed the beer lines in your kegerator? So I actually did it just before this beer. So I just bought some okay. new lines from more beer. Bought those um those quick connects or whatever. I changed everything okay. over because um, I just got back into brewing here maybe a, a year ago. So that was oh, one nice. of the things recently wanted to do is just transfer all those over. So that, that, that was the other kind of weird thing. Um, Here's a question. Notes, so, all right, let, yeah, let me totally interrupt you, Nate. Um, did you, so you, you, these are fresh beer lines. Is this beer the first beer that went through them? Oh, and did you bottle off the tap? It's probably very close. It's probably very close the first time, but I ran um, some, um, uh, five star through there some before i did everything so i cleaned up all my old taps i soaked everything put everything together and kind of ran things through and i usually give it a, well, a rather flush with like a submersible pump for a couple hours so okay all right oh okay you saw where i was going with that because I've, I've had some you know they, they have beer line that says it doesn't taste funky but it, it, it inherently it tastes a little weird uh, the first couple pours so it sounds like you did it right so okay good well that, that's what i was hoping with this beer line too they, they said it's like one of the best ones for not not having those flavor profiles. It's that yeah. was a dual flex or whatever. And, and yeah. but they're yeah. still there. It's plastic. I mean, it's yeah. going to one thing I did, I pitched when I, when I brewed this, it was, it was in June. I mean, Wisconsin, not always super hot, but it, I was doing this late at night. So like at 1am is when, when I finished brewing. And what I did is I left this covered with Saran wrap in my garage and, and kind of whirlpool and let it cool. So I let it cool for like about six hours overnight and I want to pitch in the yeast pretty warm. So it was like 85 F 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And I pitched a, a London ESB. So I don't know if that being a little, maybe too warm there hurt me with, you know, creating some, some of these weird flavors or, or maybe just letting it sit in my garage covered overnight. If, if it picked yeah. up something in that, that process. Cause yeah. that's, I don't, I don't know that's a bottle problem. It, it seems like there's been something from the get-go because the way this is coming out of the keg, it's, it's extremely odd. That shouldn't affect uh, your viscosity. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you cr- crush your grains in the same place where it was sitting? I mean, is there malt dust in the air there? No. So, so the last several batches I've been just buying from the homebrew store. Uh, close to, they grind them pretty much the day you buy them type of thing. Do you, do you get the same phenols that brian and brian are talking about 
yeah, to me, there was definitely a, a very odd flavor, and especially those ones that poured like a chocolate milk or like a cider. And that, oh. I, guess my, I, I lost a lot of beer in that keg because I was pouring a lot off before I would, you know, drink one even for myself or I was sure. pouring you. Again, so here's what, here's a blast from the past, right, Nate? I think he has from, an infection in his keg. What, it, that may be. But did you use Wolflock or Irish Moss or any of that stuff? Use Scottish moss, which is I didn't bold. Use Irish else. moss. I used a teaspoon of Irish moss. Okay, so you remember back in the session, like ten years ago, when like Chad made some stout and he poured in like ten times the usual amount of whirl flock, no, and it that came out me. like chocolate milk. Was that you? That was me on uh, Can You Brew It, where Nate Smith and I were trying to make okay. um, Shakespeare stout from Rogue. Yes, that yeah. was the one. And it was basically fucking jelly at the top. Like, I put in too much wolf on. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that you're right, JP. I think that maybe the keg isn't, is the, is a, the keg needs to get torn apart and it maybe it formed a pellicle and the beer may have gotten sick uh, yeah, and caused be, that kind sounds, of gelatinous mess. It sounds ropey to me. It sounds yeah. like there's a thing going on. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. Without tasting it, it's hard it's to not like. not sour, though. Well, but I don't know. I mean, but Brett isn't sour. That's true. It, it would. It takes a long time to develop the sourness necessarily. I mean, doesn't well, it could be the, ropey? The hard, and, the hard part is is you know maybe our vocabularies are even different too, which is why we yeah. do the show to try to sort of like solidify ideas and 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 kind of like meet upon a, a an agreed upon vocabulary. So I don't know. It's hard to say, but um, I don't know, Nate. I mean, you you've heard so, the, like you've tasted the beers. It sounds about right. Yeah. It's usually P- pediococcus is what will cause the ropiness. Ropey, okay. yeah. Give you a sick beer. It's And if you look at it microscopically, it's this, it's like this little four, it looks like four little dots around each other. And then they just like chain together and make these ro- rope ropes kind of in your beer and just get thick and weird. No, so yeah, no. you might've, you might've had a pedio infection in there. Maybe. But, um, the only thing that could change the viscosity. Yeah, that's all. I, I agree with you. If it's not Whirlflock, it's got to be like PDO. Have you taken the posts off that keg lately and like cleaned them inside? Yeah, I, I typically do that before I, before I, like, so when I, yeah. when I finish a keg, I, I typically take everything apart, even take the poppets out. I clean them and I set them up like on a drying rack. I've got like a, a baby bottle rack that everything gets dried and cleaned on. And then, then before I even, I, I put into it or transfer into it. I sanitize everything. I've got a spray bottle of sanitizer. Right. Spray in the, not to say I missed something or, or left something maybe in a dip tube or, right. or, or the air side or something there and it got infected. But this, this is definitely an oddity for then, me. As well. Then it must have gotten in in the garage overnight. That's all I can think of because yeah. you do better at cleaning your kegs than I do. It could just uh, be one of those things. It could just be an anomaly. I mean, yeah. I mean it yeah. happens in commercial breweries you know, often anyway. So, and it's the only time it's happened to you, Nate, right? Yeah. To, to this extent, I mean, I've had a couple of beers go bad before I've got that mm. pellicle, you know, in a fermenter where you get those white bubbles where it's kind of powdery, yeah. you know, it's bad, but I've never had this one where it's been in a keg and, and kind of had that odd texture or, or the odd way it pours almost like I said, like a cider or a malt or a just yeah. super hazy and, and yeah. almost had like a texture to it. It just thicker and frothier and, yeah, I mean, yeah. And it, it could be that the, the texture you're describing is uh, overcarbonation because something is starting to be active. So yeah. who knows? But just be careful. You know, you're, it sounds like you're doing everything the correct way. Yeah, Maybe something just came in. I wouldn't necessarily freak out about it, but pay attention to it. 
if you notice that this is a thing, then maybe you need to even pitch where, like, change where you pitch. Um, you know, our 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 yeah. friend, uh, you know, push eject our old friend Charlie. Uh, he was always doing his starters for his homebrew when he brewed where in the kitchen. And, and I helped him sort of figure out that uh, his, his starters started turning sour. And it was really weird. He couldn't figure it out. Well, his wife was activating and culturing and growing her sourdough bread starter oh. in the same area as he yeah. was pitching his yeast. And it would just kind of overtook. It's stuff like that where like just pay attention to it and recognize patterns in your brewing. Sure. If there are reasons for off flavors or whatever, then maybe change that. And it's just, it's one of those things that you don't really think about. So um, if there's anything else, Nate, if there's not anything else, actually, we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Cause it's, it's actually did, did we get a recipe or did we end oh, up just talking too much? Nate, I don't think we I, got your recipe. Did we? I liked the, the base recipe seemed nice. And I would like to know what went into the beer malt wise and hop wise. Right, don't keep you guys too long. So again, five gallon batch. So I did uh, eight and a half pounds of two roll. A pound and a half of Vienna, mm-hmm. one pound of 60L, a half a pound of carapils, and then a half a pound of that acidulated, and then a couple ounces of the special B just to kind of give it some color and some flavor. And one thing I do, maybe it's kind of a cheat on some of these ambers, is to, to dry it out a little bit. I did throw a pound of um, dextrose in there. It, it seems like it bumps up the ABV, obviously, but it, sometimes I find like my ambers get too sweet or, or too malty. And I, yeah the dextrose just really kind of helps thin things out and, and, and dries it up just a hair. So this beer wound up coming up It the OG was a 1062 and the, the final was a, was a 1008. So to me, it didn't feel that, wow. that high. So it, was, it came in close to 7%. But um, again, sometimes those ambers can be deceiving. And again, I, I like to use that dextrose just to kind of thin things out and give it a little um, to dry it out a little bit. Cause those ambers are, I mean, I like ambers, but sometimes they get a little malty and a little sweet for me. And that yeah. So I wasn't wrong when I said it was slightly warming. That was actually warming at 7%. Okay. Yep. So it's probably <laughs> an high for amber ale, but it's just, again, something I like to do with my ambers, just to try to, to dry them out a little bit. Yeah. And That's just, cool. Um, awesome. Sounds like a good recipe. Uh, you know, the, uh, again, a lot of malts in there and, and acidulated. And, you know, what were uh, your hops that you used? So, yeah, you guys mentioned some citrusy stuff. So I did use a, an ounce of, of citra at 60 minutes. And then I had some Holotor and some Fuggle. So the Fuggle was in at the last three minutes, and the Holotor was in at 15 minutes. So um, late additions on those, and those were an ounce each. That is such uh, a homebrewer uh, hot bill, and I love that. <laughs> That's funny, too, because a citra would normally be considered like an aroma hop a lot of times, and like Fuggles would be maybe a you know, something you'd put in earlier, but Hey, it, it's, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I was hoping not to get so much of that, that citrusy flavor, that citra being so early. I was hoping just to get that, that you wanted it to boil yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Get yeah, some bitterness from it. It's a high alpha hop. So you can use it for yeah. bittering and that's yeah, exactly. Like a, yep. But I think, yeah. I think that's just flavor kind of carried through a little more than what I was hoping. So I got a pile of that. I want to buy a couple of pounds here a while ago. So I thought, yeah, I use it for, for bittering and it want to probably be a little overpowering. So. Well, I think we both wanted a little more hops. So the, the hops weren't that were there weren't bad. It was just uh, a little bit more in the, in the aroma would have been nice or else the phenolic was detracting from our ability to get to the hops. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, Nate. Well, we'll let you go, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Appreciate your feedback. Cheers. Thank Thanks, you. Nate. Take it easy, guys. We'll see you. You too. All right.
So we're going to take a quick break, everybody, and we'll be right back with more Dr. Homebrew after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Homebrew. We are about to do a commercial calibration on uh, everybody's favorite. I mean, not everybody, but, you know, it's the, the seasonal fervor driver, I guess, the Bourbon County Stout. Now, which they make like a thousand different varieties of. Ever since Goose Island got bought out, they're, just, they're, sort, of, they're sort of everywhere. There's not much of a drive for them anymore because they're just, you can find them anywhere. But there's, there's like several variations of them, which is cool. Um, and then actually, yeah, I was telling Cooper that there was one that I, the beer store I went to yesterday by my old house, they didn't have the basic one. They had one called the Caramella, which was a barrel aged wheat wine. Gross. Uh, they had, gross. Some, they had something else that was like a single barrel, like a uh, uh, version. It was like $10, like $25 for a bottle. And I'm like, there was, uh, they, yeah, there was some crazy variations. They didn't have the basic one. And then Bevmo had the basic sure. Bourbon County, and it was fine. Um, someone in the chat was saying regarding the Bourbon County beers, this is Connor. Um, any thoughts on pasteurizing versus not pasteurized? Is there a, a non-pasteurized Bourbon County stout? Well, this this bottle says, you know, there's a, right here on the label develops in the bottle up to five years. They even have a little flag out here. Uh, and I gotta, I, I gotta believe that there's still some active yeast in here. If they expect you to age this and have it develop for five years, or is that all supposed to be just micro oxidation? I would say whether or not a, a beer um, has been uh, pasteurized or not, the flavors are going to change and meld over time, regardless. Right? I mean. Yeah. But um, uh, this, I, I don't know. It, 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 he's saying this one is pasteurized and wants to know, is that um, necessary or recommended? I was just saying on, on a homebrew scale, uh, you know, no. But, I mean, commercial breweries can, can pasteurize everything. It helps with shelf stability of the beer. It, it takes care of anything that's living in the bottle and prevents you from having you know, bottle bombs later and you're mass producing this much of a beer for, for public consumption. And that's going to sit in various conditions around the world for so long, you know, maybe it's a good stabilizing factor for the, just that reason alone. And the flavors meld enough anyway, with such mm -hmm. with a, it's, it's 14.6% alcohol and it's not going to be a time capsule in a hundred years, any, you know, pasteurized or not, the beer is not going to taste the same. So yeah, that's that's a good point. And looking quick on Google, there were some issues in like 2015, 2016 with infected goose with infected uh, Bourbon County Stout, which it was is shortly after the buyout too, which was hilarious yeah. for everybody in the craft beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but Did somebody uh, do that on purpose. <laughs> probably, man. You would think. Um, all right, yeah. well, let's uh, let's start hearing about your guys' thoughts. And I do not have any. I couldn't get out in time to get any, but. Uh, I'm curious to to check this out for you or with you. This is a category 33B. Uh, would be considered a specialty wood aged beer, and it's actually a 
a classic commercial example for this style. So uh, the alcohol clocks in at 14.6% as noted on the label. I'm curious whether that came up over the years or whether it stayed uh, remotely the same. Hmm. Or if maybe they actually measure it as opposed to estimating, calculating. And you have to take the, yeah, and, and you have to take the booze into account as well that comes yeah, out of right. the barrels. And so they're, it's, I would imagine they're pretty exact with that. Um, you know, Goose Island's been around for, for many, many years. I remember going there back in the early 2000s, and, and that, it was kind of the old school breweries. Like, oh, let's go to, I'm in Chicago, let's go to a brewery. Okay, here, Goose Island. Cool. And they had some, you know, some good classic beers. I don't think they had, I don't know if they had this one yet. I don't, I don't remember tasting it back then. So it might not have been the right time of the season. And, and it was probably really rare then. It had that, that mystique that some of these beers now have, you know, that, that came out yeah. uh, over the years where you, yeah. I mean, now certain Russian river beers are getting easier to get and they're yeah. not as rare as they once were. Is it going to hold that same mystique? I laugh because it's still the same great beer that it always was. Right. Uh, but you're not I, chasing I, a unicorn. Yeah. No, I would hope that the, the, you know, the, the business people that took over the, uh, the brewery would have kept this, the recipes the same and everything in, in the beer that, that, that became kind of legendary, uh, you know, to what made it what it is, but they obviously changed something if they had to start pasteurizing. Yeah. So before we get started, uh, uh, sort of walking through this beer, it's probably uh, useful to note that this is a 33B specialty wood-aged beer. This category 33 has wood-aged beer and also specialty wood-aged beer. Uh, and the notes for 33B state the styles intended for beer aged in wood with added alcohol character from previous use of the barrel. So 33A is like just a unused you know, raw barrel or a barrel that hadn't been used for, for alcohol before. Uh, bourbon barrel or other similar beers should be entered here. And then the base beer, this the bottle itself says the base is an imperial, so it's an imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels. So this is a 20C Imperial Stout aged in wood uh, in the 33B category. Just, and I don't want to get too far into it, but because I don't have the beer in front of me, uh, I'm going to um, wax poetic about bullshit. But I feel like what beer would you ever fucking in, put into a, a brand new New Oak barrel? I feel like it's inviting trouble. Yeah. I mean, New Oak is so pungent and so flavorful and astringent and tannic and blah, blah, blah. Expensive. <laughs> but that's yeah, why maybe you. It's like, why? Who would do that? Who would do oh. such a thing? It'd be impossible. And, no, and I agree with you. And looking through 33A, the uh, you can use wood based additives, wood chips, wood staves, or oak essence. Okay, so this would so, be maybe if you're putting in chips yeah, rather than. Don't ever do cubes. Chips. Yeah, I agree. No one do chips. Everyone always do cubes. Yeah, that's yeah. always go to the cube. And then if you wanted to put it in like a, a raw, fresh barrel, I can't imagine you'd put it in for more than a few days. One we day. Call that, we call that new oak in the business. Oh, right? new oak. Excuse right. me. Yes. Well, it doesn't have to be for a 33A. It doesn't have to be new oak. I mean, one of the commercial examples is Firestone Walker 
double barrel ale and they don't ferment that in new oak every time they ferment it right it's no but it does have i thought one it of has the, oak as a part of its flavor profile but it's not no, no, like no, an no. intense biting well no but I, I thought one of the definitions that brian was reading was that like it hadn't been used previously for alcohol oh gotcha and no, i guess I think maybe it, it's, it's a little misleading because this 33A is intended for beer aged in wood without added alcohol character from previous use of the barrel. So, so maybe the it's a leading is, comprehension on my part. It's no well, booze versus booze. Right. Yeah, so if you're if because you have these these new oak barrels that are used like in in, in yeah. um, double barrel ale, mm-hmm. if you keep reusing the same beer inside of them, you're not going to get any extra alcohol. Right. So that would be 33A. Yeah. Yeah. And 33A is also like Great Divide Oak Aged Yeti Imperial Stout, where they just take an Imperial Stout, they age it on oak with no booze, and and it's an Imperial Stout, So, but it doesn't have the booze element this one's going to have. So that's the difference between those two styles. Uh, So thanks for the clarification of my bad reading comprehension. (laughs) No, 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 it was was all good. Sorry for eating it. Yeah, let's talk about this beer. Yeah, go ahead and talk about this beer. I'm, uh, by the way, I'm drinking a Hefeweizen from uh, Opelika, uh, Alabama. It's a brewery called Red Clay. They were on the session the other day. Uh, it's very good, by the way. It's five. Oh, really? We're going to get some real yeah. similar flavor profiles in, in these beers that we're all <laughs> it's five point uh, six. tasting together. To me, it's a little yeah. too high, but you know, it's good. Oh, a five point six Bavarian half. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. Wow. Too high. I wish it was like five four, five two. Five two yeah. would be perfect. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Awesome. Go ahead. Nice. So the imperial style, uh, imperial uh, stout base style, it's it doesn't come through with a, an immediate like biting, uh, roasty, ashy anything. It's so enveloped by the booze that's there and the and the wood. When you get into the flavor, the wood just um, surrounds the, the the beer, and the alcohol is very high in this beer, but it's not. Uh, biting or harsh. I haven't had this year's uh, Bourbon County yet, so uh, this is kind of fun. It's a beer that comes out around, you know, in the fall every year, and uh, you know, it, it's again, it's fairly easy to find, but it's a beer that you can also um, sit on some bottles and do vertical yeah. tastings of, and and have some fun with. Just get a library going if you like imperial stouts and if you like booze aged beers with with oak character to them. Um, this is one that you could you you would reward yourself by instead of buying you know if you're gonna drink one buy two or if you're gonna drink three buy a six pack and set them aside for uh, a year a couple of years and 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 build that library and have some fun with it so but honestly this doesn't taste like oh wow this is the fresh one that it doesn't it isn't aged properly it's it it's been aged nicely and it's it's you know, that's, that work has been done already. Uh, further aging will reward you, but it, as a starting product, it's, it's really, it's aged pretty nicely already. It's not sharp or biting to me. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I completely agree. And the, the, for a 14.6% beer, the aroma just starting off here is just so smooth and so pleasant. And it has some, some malty imperial stout character and also some bourbon character and some wood to get some of that, that vanilla oak character. It's all very harmonious. There is no hot alcohol to this at all, which is an achievement because you're going to get 
there's you can get heat from the imperial stout you can get heat from the bourbon or both uh and instead it just the aroma is just very welcoming and pleasant and very balanced the balance just like a it's been kind of the hallmark for three of the four beers in the last show with the last show it's been all about you know what do you, you you're taking a base beer and you're modifying it somehow and it's all about balance and not overwhelming it uh you know, was it 33B, the impression, the second word, harmonious, a harmonious bend. Or, you can already tell that I've had a little bit of this 15% beer. A harmonious blend of the base beer style with characteristics from aging in contact with wood, including alcoholic products previously in contact with the wood. The best examples will be smooth, flavorful, well-balanced, and well-aged. But I agree with you. This does not This does not come across like something that is you know, uh, uh, an imperial stout that's three days out of the fermenter and it's way too bitter and hot and hasn't settled down yet. This is just a very smooth, harmonious beer. Right. You get, you get some roastiness. Uh, you get a nice uh, coffee-like, dark chocolate. Um, yeah, everything's still coming through. I would say, too, that um, right now the, the, the booze wins out a little bit over the wood, so you're looking for the balance yes. between the style, the booze, which in this case is fresher and it's just, it's been in the barrel and I, you know, I'm not sure if they add, you know, booze to the, the barrels to swirl it or, you know, mm. however they do it. I've never gone there and seen this process to, to know what they do, but uh, you know, there, there is definitely some, some strong booze and that's going to be what ages out and the oakiness that probably ascend over time. I would, I would mm-hmm. feel. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I get the vanilla from the oak, but I don't get like a lot of that maybe tannic uh, oak character right. out of this, uh, that bite. backbone, that structure out of this. And I agree with you that that's going to be what, what stays in here, but it still manages to give, to have a lot of that character. Uh, and it, it, sometimes you have a wood aged beer and the wood is just so overwhelming. Uh, and Work, there's just dude. so much tannin. <laughs> that's that's what she said. Uh, sometimes there's just so much wood, it just gets in the way of of appreciating the beer. Uh, yeah, you're chewing on the oak barrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's got a very uh, um, yeah tannic is is the main way to think of it. It's like chewing yeah. on grape skins and that just that puckering mouth. Yeah. feel um and the flavor of the oak and the aroma of the oak uh if it's too sharp it's 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 not going to be a winner and it has to be in balance so no. no i would i would score the aroma on this very high i'd score this you know probably 10 11 out of 12 as far as the aroma goes uh and i my, the reason that would keep me from maybe going even you know, to the full 12 is the style guidelines do talk about the well-aged character. So maybe the most successful examples in competition are going to be ones that, I know, maybe you made and stuck in your closet for a couple of years before you entered right. it. Well, the Imperial Stout, as it ages, is going to take on more of those Venice and wine-like kind of flavors and right. pruny, raisiny, fruity flavors. They're going to start rounding out after a year or two and, and really uh, coming into their own. I, I do more aging of barley wines than I do of, uh, you know, barrel aged Imperial stouts and things like that. But, um, 
you know, the, the flavors really do start to meld in a barley yeah. wine after like five years. But I would think for, oh, yeah. the, for one of these, it might be shorter that your, your reward is going to come a little sooner. After a year, some of that, that booze is going to smooth out a little more and that the rich raisiny uh, and, and uh, port-like quality of, of the, the stout is going to shine through alongside what's already there. And, and give you a, a little bit better presentation. So to me, the nose is a little sharp with the booze right now. Yeah. It's not harsh, honestly. It's like, it's for such a strong beer, it's it's very pleasant smelling. Like you said, it would garner a high score there, but um, it's gonna it's gonna smooth out over time for sure. Yeah, I'd be curious, you know, this is a 2020 uh, bottle. I'm, I'd be interested how long they age it in the barrel and how long the Imperial Stout may have aged before they put it in the barrel, or you know, they don't. I, I'm not seeing information about that on the bottle. Yeah. Uh, if you have questions or comments, call one eight hundred Goose B. Can we get them funny. on the line? JP, yeah. call call that number, please. Uh, I would love to. I would, if we could dial in, I would definitely. That'd be fun. Okay. Yeah, but uh, the little tag hanging off the edge of the bottle too it says uh, develops in the bottle up to five years. I would I would also uh, bet money that whoever answers that phone call won't know the question. That <laughs> but it would be I fun to have a conversation with them at least. Hello, my name is Jeff. I am I'm here in Chicago, and I would like to answer your questions about our beer. Yeah, what do you mean? Uh, what do you mean age? Our beer is fresh. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Classic. And whenever I, I, I think about customer service for beer, I always think about the time I took the the tour of the Anchor Brewing Facility for like the third time. And the, the gal leading the tour said that uh, beer without hops is called mead. Ah. Yeah. Yes. So well, even, at, even at Anchor, people fuck it up. Like you just never, you just, you never know anymore. So uh, I doubt it. But anyway, let's, uh, let's okay. move on a little bit. Let's try to... Uh, I think um, you meant to say Groot, honey, but uh, I'll take it. Meet us another. Little, if we can compress a little bit. That would be great. We're sort of running a little bit over. Okay. Yeah. Appearance-wise, an imperial stout. Um, you know, it's going to be nice and and. This is is very dark. You can see it just at the very edge of the corners that there's a little bit of a dark uh, reddish color. Mm. Uh, it looks like the beer is going to be clear. And that the head is not, you know, with so much alcohol here, the head is not going to be a prominent factor. Yeah, right. The booze and the alcohol and the beer already. Um, you're, you're going to see some, you know, uh, some legs in the in the beer with this strong of an alcohol. It's a, you know, it's a monster. Yeah. And we're going to pound this whole bottle tonight because it's open now. But Well, uh, I'm not going to waste a $15 <laughs> bottle. So I got to finish this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, would, I would rate the flavor very highly, too, because, of course, the flavor varies with base style. But you've got, as you were talking about, you hit the highlights of the Imperial Stout. Then you've also got uh, flavors that are typically present include vanilla from the wood, caramel butterscotch, Toasted bread or almonds, coffee, chocolate, cocoa, uh, and alcohol flavors from other products previously in the wood, like like bourbon. And you definitely catch a number of those things in here. I would say, uh, yeah, almond, almond-like is one that kind of stands out, too. And in, yeah. in an, an oak-aged beer, you know, it definitely has some of the vanillas. And, like, wood-aged wood flavor to me is, is so hard to describe because it has so many 
components to it. Yeah. It's all of those things. You can sometimes you can get marshmallow like or you know I don't know just something gnarly or almost sour beer like you know or funky. But uh, you know it's it not 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 sour necessarily, but just something intense and like you know some some sharper edges to them sometimes. But this one's pretty smooth. Yeah, flavor wise in the imperial stout. Uh, where do you, what I wanted to talk about the bitterness of the beer because in a in an imperial stout usually you start out with a pretty aggressive bitterness because it's a beer you want to you know it's got so much alcohol there and and so much else going on um, that, that you need that to balance the beer but the you know to me there probably is a lot of bitterness here but it's not um, coming out strikingly sharp in the flavor like the the fruitiness and the roundness of the stout along with the, the booze is standing up to that pretty well no and I, I totally agree with you and this is such a boozy beer that I'm having a little bit of a hard time picking out the bitterness from the alcohol if that makes sense um, it's in, you know the, I, I think the flavors are melding nicely already and they're going to improve over time but it's you know there's a lot of more biting flavors now uh, there's the chocolatey is sharp still the roast is sharp still um the you know uh the, the flavors are, are are not melding they, the way they will over you know four five years from now so and the fruitiness is going to come out more as it as it ages i think that the 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 mouthfeel when you get to the mouthfeel that's might thin out a little bit over time too and that's where you kind of get to a point of diminishing returns where it's going to, it's going to get, it's for such a strong beer. It's amazing that after so many years, sometimes it can become almost watery, but it's so smooth still. And, and the flavors yeah. are totally melded and you get to that point where it's like, Oh, it's starting to slide downhill, but it was, you can tell where, what it was and where it came from a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the same thing with a Cabernet or something and yeah. like it gets better, 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 better. And then it plateaus, and then you can tell from the color and the mouthfeel sometimes, if not the flavor, that, yeah, this is good, but it was better at some point in the past. Should have opened it a year ago, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, that happens. Um, so, yeah, the, the warmth is going to always stay there. Um, the I think that, that some of the the the, the – there's a little bit of creaminess in there. It's, a, you know, it's, it's underneath everything else, but that's going to start to go away. The, the biting uh, qualities are going to, going to go away over time. And um, you know, it's, but it's a nice beer to sit on for sure. And uh, when I look for the best balance in a beer like this, though, I don't want it to be too boozy. And right now to me, this is pushing that edge where it's just, it's almost a little too boozy, but they've done a good job of aging it yeah. to where the, you know, the stout is at a good level. At, the Imperial stout is, uh, has aged uh, to a point where the flavors have melted a little bit and, and are, 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 are good for, uh, you know, for the barrel treatment. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they left it in there for a good, good long time to, to contact all those, uh, you know, get you get some some the tannins and some vanillins from the wood and get it 
you know, nice and happy, but I don't know. I'm, I'm happy with this beer. I think they do a good job with it. It might get some flack for being a mass produced beer now and whatnot, but you know, there's a reason it became popular and it's one that people can get and taste along with us and, and throw out their own impressions of it and, and, and sit on it and taste a, a year and a two year next to the fresh sometime and, and see what you get and just sit down with your friends and open the three bottles mm-hmm. and, and, and do some, do a blind tasting if you can and, and and just like pick out the differences between try to guess which one's the oldest if you have five years even you know right i I totally agree with you and the challenge from a commercial standpoint is you want to make something that you is ageable and even the label talks about your age up to five years uh but you want to have you need to have something that's drinkable out of the gate and it's like sierra nevada bigfoot uh, for example bigfoot i think is really good fresh, but it's very aggressively bitter, very aggressively hopped, uh, and it's much different than the Bigfoot you're going to be drinking five or ten years later. And that's kind of the art and the challenge, I think, for those beers, is to make something that's going to be good, it's going to be drinkable, and at least drinkable, and ideally good at bottling. It's going to be drinkable, and ideally at least good in five or ten years, and also in between. And I have a lot of respect for any home brewer or professional brewer that can do that. I mean, some, some beers have a best after uh, date on them <laughs> instead of a best, best buy. And it could be like three or four yeah, years. Stone, like just, Stone had those that were like enjoy at, instead of the enjoy buy series, they yeah. had the enjoy after. Do not drink this fresh. You will, it will, yes. you will not enjoy it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what would you guys give it? A score wise comparatively to the style guidelines, right? This is our, our commercial calibration beer. I'd, I'd probably go for 38 to 40 with this beer. I would expect this to probably hit maybe a 44, 45, maybe in two or three years. Yeah, I agree. Probably, probably 39 ish. And then you, Hey, we can see, we can see JP. Whoa! Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. Keep going. Um, and, and uh, yeah, as age melts, all those flavors, it's going to go and creep up into the lower forties to mid forties territory. Okay. At, or okay. higher even. Really? It's that good. That's the thing about these beers. They're, they're the, the potentiality sort of like uh, outweighs their, their like impact, I guess. I think that the, the Imperial well, Stout recipe that's there is a really good recipe. Yeah. Well, well like I, I was saying, I think this is pretty good out of the gate. Well, yeah. And then and that's not what I mean. It, you know, it sounds like it's good out of the gate and that's cool, but it is, it is also one of those beers like any of these beers, right? Like I, I think sometimes I feel like, <laughs> sometimes I feel like uh, Imperial Stouts are a gimmick because it sort of forces you to buy several of the beer without tasting. Because if you buy one of the beer and you go, oh, this is good. You know what? This would be good aged. And you go back and you buy four. You buy six or whatever, right? Um, and so I feel like at, at, on, on some level, on some like fundamental idiot level like I'm on, mm. it, 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 Imperial Stout feels like a gimmick. Well, you know what? Yeah. So it may be a gimmick, but it's a gimmick that works. And, and there are beers and there's that you... There are beers that you don't want to sit on an age. I'm the stupid guy that brought, I, I, I drink, I always buy celebration ale every year when it comes out. I've got some in my fridge. You were drinking one earlier tonight. 
Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale is a staple in my brewing tasting yeah. regimen. I foolishly decided to age some, and I, I've, you know, I buy buy it by the 12 pack and sometimes I end up with a couple bottles. One year I had a few bottles. I'm like, oh, I'll just set this aside and see what it tastes like next year. I was kind of done with it. It was starting to slide downhill. I'm like, let's see what it what it does. And then uh so I, I let it age. I ended up with like six different vintages of the of celebration ale. And I brought it to the Northern California Homebrews Festival. And usually we do a barley wine vertical, but before we did that, we're sitting around the campfire. I'm like, hey, look at this shit. I brought the, you know, I brought my cellies that I've been sitting on for whatever reason for six years and let's taste through these. And I poured it for people like, <laughs> why would you age this beer? This is not a beer that's meant to be, it's a fresh hop beer. Why would you age this and sit on it? And it, like the beers that were six, seven years old, you know, they tasted, you know, kind of, they take on a little syrupy edge and the hops were gone. The part that you want to taste and the maltiness was kind of this, generic caramelliness that wasn't hadn't really melted and it's a low alcohol beer so like a stronger alcohol beers are going to age better in general than lowers uh sour beers are going to age better than non-sour beers and there's a number of different things that 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 determine whether a beer could be aged or not you can age anything you want i've tasted that you know 50 year old beer that was like an acme whatever for, that, that Dave Bradstrom brought to homebrew con one year oh, man. when I was, when I was still called NHC and it was from the <laughs> 1950s and then we were tasting this beer, like here's some really old shit that's been sitting in bottles forever. And it's, it, it was interesting, but it wasn't something that I would have ever intentionally done. It was like, okay, I tasted this beer that was really old. Why? Because we're weird. We do things know, like man. this. Yep. That's what, that's what happens, man. Yeah. My buddy a uh, long time ago gave me uh, uh, his old library of Anchor Christmas from like yeah. the 80s. From the 80s. And what wow. he failed to tell me was it was just in his garage since then. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and so you're just like, after the third soy sauce bomb, you're like, you know what? Some things aren't meant to really happen. Now. Anyway, I, I feel you on, on that. Like, I have know, a friend down the street who has the same thing, but it's in his garage fridge. And I've been there and he's offered it as a club tasting sometime that we could do. So I'm, I'm interested in that. I would taste oh, that. Sure. And I'm the weird yeah. one that will be like, that's interesting. Or why did you sit on these beers for so long? But yeah. it's sometimes just the nostalgia for a, a certain beer that you drank when you were younger. And now we're getting older and, mm. you know, we, it's like buying that toy you had when you were a kid, like, um, you know, well, Anchor, I swear, and I several years ago, it used to be that. Sorry, she. Uh, I'll wrap this up quickly. Yeah. I see him staring at me. Uh, yeah. Anchor used to have used to be so highly spiced that it took like four or five years for it to be drinkable, and like a few years ago, they changed that so it wasn't as heavily spiced. And did they though? I is it them maybe, or is it you? Didn't it could yeah. be me. Yeah. But I, I kind of, in some ways, liked it more when it was like so overpowering. You had to wait. I will it tastes say, like juniper boughs being yeah, placed I, in I, your mouth or something. Yeah. I will say, and and maybe it's it, maybe it's a factor of as beer drinkers, maybe for anything like me, which I apologize if you are, but it's mm. like once you know that a brewery <laughs> has been sold to a larger brewery, the beer suddenly tastes more watered down. 
And with Thank You Christmas in the past few years, it sort of has been like, oh, this is sort of watery. It's not as like full or it's not as powerful or his balls aren't as heavy. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, not, as, like, it's, not, as, it's not as impactful. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I haven't had it for a couple of years because I, I got it several years ago, a couple of times in a row. I'm like, eh, I don't really like it. It's not very good. This year's pretty good. I really like it. But I wouldn't drink more than a couple bottles of it. Because again, it's right. it, it still feel also a little bit. Um, honestly, it, uh, it to use a homebrewers example, Patrick's uh, uh, coffee porter from the last show. It needed. It just needs a, a goose of crystal or something yeah, in the in the in the mid the late mid yeah. where it's like just but bring out that warmth and that balance and that yeah. yeah. Gotcha. But I'm not, you know, I'm not saying yeah. it's like the new owners or whatever, because I don't, I'm sure nobody really cares. Like you're not going to, you're going to shave, you know, pennies off the dollar, off the bottom dollar by cutting yeah. the crystal malt. Like it's the most ridiculous thing. I don't think they have malevolent intent. They just, they bought the brewery and they're trying to keep, keep everything going like they have. And they built a cool tasting room, but mm-hmm. I, I'd like to taste the new one and see, like I always thought Good. You know, Anchor Christmas has always been a little overspiced. It's not a beer that I love to drink all the time, but when you get to taste it, yeah. it's always been an interesting beer, and they, they change it every year. And it's just some, a unique tradition in the Bay Area from yeah. a brewery that was brought back to life by, you know, Fritz Maytag and has such history to it. And it's a beautiful yeah. brewery. Yeah, We're yeah. talking about Torrent. And so, you know, cool. I love it. Goose, Goose Island, same thing. Kind of an old school brewery that's been around for many years and is one of those. Yeah, but it's still inst- owned institutions by Budweiser. So in the Midwest, taste in my mouth. Yeah. It, it matters yeah. how the beer tastes in your mouth. Did they keep the recipe the same and keep brewing the same good stuff? Yeah. I think this I don't is know. a good I, solid I look, beer. With that kind of stuff, I look at it like, like where's your dollar, what's your dollar supporting? And the yeah. amount of the amount of lawsuits against Anheuser Busch, and the amount of stories you hear about Anheuser Busch pushing craft beer out, uh, it's sort of like you're, sure. you're you're giving your money to a larger corporation to then you, you can focus on the business and, side of it, but you can also look right. at the you can also look at the technical side of of course how how many homebrewers do you know that could produce something that tastes exactly like Bud Light? Maybe oh, no. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. you know. It's hard to do because it's, there's nothing to hide behind, and they they do they do a great job at creating a consistent product. They have quality control technicians that analyze the hops and do the perfect blend for the year right. to get everything right. Because agricultural products they're dealing with, they want their beer to taste exactly the same oh, every year, year in and year out. You know that's admirable. Yeah, yeah. Don't it's it's corporate. It's over. I'm not mad. I I Bad. won't. I'm the same guy that you know, like I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking with you. Screw I know your fizzy yellow beer, yeah. you goddamn. You know, I. Yeah. I'm I get you, man. We're we're, we're 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 just having a conversation here. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it up here. It's getting a little late here at the uh, Doctor Homebrew uh, headquarters or something. I don't know. Um, we're drinking very strong much. beer, and That's we're right. talking out of our asses right now. Yep. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you to. Uh, Nate for hanging on again and thank you to uh, Goose Island for making Bourbon County Stout for the boys to drink and, and you know sounds like it's a it's a good beer very 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 close to style and the farther you get away from the born on date the closer it becomes to the style so that's you know mm. hard to find that honestly um, anyway thanks a lot for tuning in everybody and until next time we'll see you later looking for a few Cheers. good beers <laughs> <laughs>